Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. My name is Travis Crawford, and I knew my signature would be important to me when I was eight years old. I didn't know what I was going to do back then, but I knew my signature had to be badass. It had to be something I could be proud of. So I took a piece of paper out and thought about it. What's my signature going to look like? Now, Travis is actually my middle name, so I worked out a way to connect the J into the T and swoop right into the C. And when I finally got the one that I liked, I did it over and over and over again in my notebook. It had to be muscle memory. Three decades later, the same signature goes on every Travis Crawford certified seal, every install, every repair, and my signature is exactly the same. I mean, the penmanship is better, don't get me wrong, but the signature stands, and more important, it stands for something, just like I thought it would when I was eight years old. Turns out the kid was right. Travis Crawford, HVAC.com. Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast. I'm Dave Young. I'm here with Stephen Semple, and we're going to talk about an empire that was that was built. That's why we call it the Empire Builders. <laughs> in, ca- in case you hadn't, you know, caught on to that whole thing about why we're named what we are. <laughs> Good morning, Stephen. How are you? <laughs> wow, like you're really on it this morning. <laughs> I'm not on a. People ask, is that scripted? Oh gosh, no. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it obvious? Uh, You've whispered our subject for the day in my ear just as we started the countdown, and it instantly brought back memories of trips to Austin, Texas with my children back in the early 2000s, probably back back around the turn of the century, young man, Uh, (laughs) shortly after. Really? Mm -hmm. When Julie and I first traveled down to Wizard Academy, we had uh, four kids at home. Yeah, And this was when uh, Wizard Academy was still down in Buda at Roy's office. So so the easiest way to get there was down I-35, if you're familiar with Austin. Right, okay. Well, right at, I I think it's at Slaughter and I-35, we had to make a stop every time as we headed south at a Krispy Kreme Donuts. At a Krispy Kreme, all right. Because we didn't have a Krispy Kreme Donuts back in uh, western Nebraska. There probably still isn't one. There's no question they're far more concentrated in the south, although although another city that has a ton of them is New York City. Like when I was, yeah, when I was doing the uh, speaking engagement this summer at NASDAQ. So first of all, there's a really neat one right off of Times Square. I swear you couldn't go five minutes on Manhattan without bumping into a a Krispy Kreme. They were like everywhere. Yeah, they were absolutely everywhere in New York. In case the listener hasn't figured it out, today's topic is Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) I guess we never actually (laughs) announced that, did we? (laughs) What we loved about it, like, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm raising kids and and everybody ate donuts, right? But we had a place in, in our hometown called Daylight Donuts, which I think was a small franchise. And and you could get donuts at the grocery store. You could get the boxes of donuts. But man, there was just nothingness. And, and Duncan was around, uh, but there was just like like the Krispy Kreme had the green light, red light thing on the drive up. 
And if the green light was on, it means they're making donuts right now, and yours will still be hot from the grease when they hand it to you out the window. And it was like, that was an amazing thing. Yeah, they've done incredible. They were founded by two brothers, Vernon and Louis Randolph and Winston-Salem on July 13th, 1937. And today they have 1,400 locations. They got 21,000 employees and they do you know a half a billion in revenue. So they've done real well. I think half a billion's empire sized. Well, yeah, it's a lot of donuts. That's a, a lot, lot of, donuts. of donuts. The other thing that was really cool about it was going inside and watching them, the whole assembly line, their yeah. mechanical automation donut making robot. Yeah. And this is where a lot of their innovation happened. And they did all sorts of really interesting things. So first of all, one of the reasons why they started in Winston-Salem is that Vernon saw the company name on a cigarette package and it's the depression. And he's looking at it and he realizes Winston is where a ton of cigarettes are made. They actually at the time had one of the largest tobacco factories in the world. And so there's lots of jobs. So if we're going to open up a business doing donuts, that's a great place to go. So they land in Winston-Salem and they've got 25 bucks to their name and they locate the shop just down the road from the factory and they rent this place for making donuts. And Vernon had bought a recipe to make donuts from a New Orleans chef. And the secret was there was a secret yeast, but also potatoes were used in the in the recipe. Really? And also cream. It was cream-based. So that made the dough crispy when fried, and hence the name crispy, crispy cream. cream. Okay? All right. But donuts are not yet popular. They are not a popular item. They saw the potential for donuts. So they start... You know, as a lot of bakeries do with this whole idea of selling the grocers, right? Because we're going to sell the grocers. Sure, we're going to sell wholesale donuts too. Yeah, yeah. But again, because donuts are not this big idea yet, it's going Mm -hmm. really slow. And they're actually literally struggling to pay the next month's rent. And like a lot of innovative businesses, they've made this mistake of relying on others to sell this innovative product and idea rather than speaking directly to the customer. But here's where things change for them. The workers who work down the road in the factory smell these donuts. Yeah, they do. (laughs) And what they start doing is knocking on the door and saying, can we buy some donuts? Wait, 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 wait. Their first thought was wholesale distribution, but they hadn't even thought to sell them at the place they're making them. No. In fact, Lewis turns people away because he says, hey, you can buy them at the local grocery store. We don't do retail. Vernon (laughs) says, screw that. He grabs a sledgehammer, pounds a a hole in the outside wall and puts in a window and says, we're now doing retail. I like Vernon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wait, when you have two brothers, there's always a smart one. There's, there's, there's one. Well, there's, there's what like, like, is probably a really good match because there's probably one that's like, we just got to get this done. Boom, 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 right. Grind, 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 make the donuts time to make the donuts. Yes. And then, and then you got somebody like Vernon that's like, well, they're trying to beat our door in. Why don't we just make a window? (laughs) (laughs) And this predates drive-throughs. Now it wasn't a drive-through, it was a walk-up, but this is how innovative this idea was of just putting in a window where people can buy things. But here's the other bonus to it all is guess what they discovered? 
Customers liked them even better when they were hot, which they would never get at the grocery store, right? Yeah. It becomes so popular that literally this becomes a Winston-Salem landmark. You know, there's lineups for these donuts. Yeah. And their timing was also good because of a couple of other things. So unions are rising at this time, and the Mm -hmm. federal government creates the eight-hour workday, right? Because at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the, the working hours were were just incredible. So they created both the eight-hour workday and the 30-minute lunch break. And on top of that, more and more employers start offering these 15-minute breaks through the course of the day. So who can deliver food in like this 10-minute period, right? It was really the invention of the coffee break. And guess what? Donuts fit into that. Coffee and donut is perfect. Along with, as we know, another Winston-Salem invention, the cigarette. That's right. Have a cigarette, cup of coffee, and a donut, back to work. Right, because remember, when we go back to Buck in the early days of American tobacco, remember, Mm -hmm. his innovation on cigarettes was noticing these break times with factory workers. You didn't have time to roll a cigarette. Correct. Correct. Right, but you had time to smoke one. Right, and then donuts fit into this as well. So they start to expand into new markets, and by 1948, they have six locations selling direct to consumer. But, you know, donuts at the time were made by hand. And this created a challenge because there was this complete inconsistency in terms of size and flavor. Okay. So, because there's a lot of variables, it's kneaded, cut by hand, turned by hand, no two are the same. So to create consistency, they need to mechanize. So they invent the machine that is basically how pretty much every machine that makes donuts today is based upon. They made the first machine that made donuts. Drop a ring of batter into hot oil. Yeah, fully automates the whole process, the mm-hmm. kneading, the cutting, putting it in a circle, the dropping it in, the turning it over, lifting it out. And they call it the Ring King Jr. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone, though. <laughs> and this thing churns out about 700 donuts an hour. And it's still the standard for today in terms of how donuts are made. So this is the second innovation they do. So the first innovation they do is this whole idea of we're going to put in a window. Next innovation is now we have a machine that can make it. But guess what they started to notice when people came up to the window? They started noticing that people were fascinated by what, David? Watching Watching them. Watching the machine. So they decide, let's give the customer a front row seat to watching this machine. It's fabulous to watch. I'd watch it all day long. And they actually called it Donut Theater. They changed the machine a little bit to make it so that it was a little bit more theater. But again, think about how innovative this Mm -hmm. is. Like, you know, we're back in the late 1940s, early 1950s, and you've got a place that's manufacturing food, and it decides to take what we call there's a term that a guy by the name and a coach by the name of Van Sullivan talked about backstage front stage. So you're backstage, okay. the manufacturing of the food, let's bring it into the front stage mm-hmm. and have the customer experience it and create donut theater. I love it. Hey, Steven, I want to interrupt ourselves. That's not proper grammar, but I, I did it anyway. There you go. <laughs> In lieu of our commercial 
this time, I thought maybe uh, you and I could just chat for a minute. Absolutely. Sounds great. Our goal with the Empire Builders podcast is to talk about business building strategies that have worked for people that started out small and became empires. We want to help you. If you're a business owner and you're listening to the Empire Builders podcast because you want to build your own empire, we've got a pretty sweet offer for you. And that is to just spend 90 minutes chatting with us. It's not a sales call on our part. It's a 90-minute session where beforehand you do a little bit of homework and give us some basic background information about your business. And then we get on a Zoom call and we learn a little bit more about you and we give you the very best advice we can give in a 90-minute session. And I'm going to say it is miles away from it. Like, like I hate these dog and pony sales calls where I'm great. Mm -hmm. I'm amazing. Here's samples of our work. You should hire us, which is part of the reason that makes us different is the fact that there is the scorecard and questionnaire that goes out that the owner sends back to us because it allows us to take a couple of days, do some research, put some thought and come with some solid recommendations. Cause it's my belief that if we can provide some good insights that somebody maybe more interested in hiring us. And certainly that's a way better experience than meeting with some sales guy who runs you through a dog and pony. It's lots of fun. It's great value. People get a recording of it. I highly recommend people take us up on the offer. Easy to find us. You're listening to our podcast. So find a way to request your 90 minute session with us. Looking forward to talking to you. Let's get back to the story. Back to the story. Basically, this now really separates them and creates a real hardcore fan base for Krispy Kreme. Like Krispy Kreme, the lovers of Krispy Kreme are religious about Krispy Kreme. Mm -hmm. And it's neat. You go in there, you smell the donuts, you see the donuts, you know, floating down and being turned. Like it is really a very different experience than any other donut chain out there. And and I remember, I don't remember who it was, but we didn't go to our first Krispy Kreme because of, of an advertisement. We went because somebody said, oh my God, you've right. got to try this. Right. You got to check so this what out. They, what they were really good at doing was, was creating this, this word of mouth machine. Yes. And in, in Wizard of Ads, we've had, uh, Roy Williams developed this, this little um, presentation that we've had for years, but it talks about how to buy word of mouth. And I think I think Krispy Kreme was hitting on all all the cylinders here. If I recall right, if if they're making hot donuts and you're in there watching them, they'll, they'll actually just give you one, won't they? I don't know because I I haven't done that. Um, I think that they have the, their policy. We, we we could research it, but I almost I'm almost certain that that like if you're just standing there with a hungry look on your face watching donuts being made, they will pull one out and give it to you. Wow! And so that hits on all three of of uh, what we call um, the, the keys to building word of mouth. And, and they're all three acts of magnanimity or generosity. So one is something like a sample. Here's a free sample, right? Here's, here's a little, a little something for you, right? If, if I give you one of these donuts, you're probably going to buy a dozen. This is such a big topic, David. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to create a podcast on how to build word of mouth. Heck yeah. Okay. No, this is, and, and so this is a great example. Right. So yeah. when I mentioned uh, real early on when I was talking about visiting it myself, and that's yeah. that's a, a, an architectural feature. So a green light, red light, yeah. donuts are fresh. And then the kinetic. So letting people watch, giving them something to do, uh, giving them motion to look at, bringing the the, the back, what'd you call it? The, the behind well, the scenes? Well, yeah, the, the bringing the, the backstage to the front The backstage stage. to the front stage. Yeah. yeah. So it's exciting because they hit the the triumvirate of word of mouth building. Well, and when you also think about 
like one of the other things that we talk about is one of the best things you can do is high visibility location. So their first mm-hmm. location was just down the road from the factory. Where all the factory workers are driving by it every day. When they opened in New York, they opened in Times Square, a donut shop in Times Square. Do you know how... I, I got to guess that real estate in Times Square, and when you're in Times Square, <laughs> you stand in the middle of Times Square and you do the circle, mm-hmm. you can see right in Times Square the massive Krispy Kreme sign, right? Sure. Like it is, it, you cannot miss it. So in one of the most visible places in New York, and it's not a little tiny store. You go in, it's a big store. It's got the the machine in the, in the whole nine yards. So by 1960, they're in 12 states. They've grown 29 stores. By 1973, they've sold, they sold the Beatrice Foods. I was never able to find how much they sold the Beatrice Foods for. And then Krispy Kreme kind of went through a bit of a tough time where they were taking public and then taking private and then taking public and all sorts of things happen. But there's massive lessons here. And the first one is that I like was when they were thinking about where to locate, they looked at the economic opportunity. They purposely yeah. went, here's a place where the economy is good and we're selling this luxury. Like, granted, it's a small indulgence, but still it's a luxury device. And then this whole idea of direct-to-consumer. And again, they stumbled across it. But look, one brother was like, hey, you get the grocery store. The other brother grabbed a sledgehammer and bashed a window into the wall and sort of said, great, we're now selling direct-to-consumer. So very observational, right? Like he was really noticing what was going on. And a lot of businesses... Don't do that. They fight it. They go, oh, these customers keep interrupting us. It's like, if they're showing up at our door, let's sell to them. Guess what they're also doing? Still selling wholesale. You can go to the Krispy Kreme location and get it hot and fresh, but you can also go to the C-Store a mile away Yes. And, and pick up Krispy Kreme donuts there. They may not be as hot, right? right. but they're selling everywhere. They are selling everywhere. And then the other part that I really love was the fact that, again, observational. They saw that when their customers came up to the window, that they were watching the machine. And they went, well, that's really interesting. Maybe what we should do, we should bring that machine forward. And here's how innovative that is. Every donut shop on the planet uses these machines. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones that show it, right? They did this direct-to-consumer, and then they brought this entertainment forward. And again, innovative idea, because it's not like, there were lots of businesses doing that at the time. There wasn't, you know, shows how they make this. So very, very forward thinking, very observational, like really mm-hmm. watching what was going on and tapping into those things. So I just thought there was a lot to learn from Krispy Kreme. Yeah, I, I love this story. And and I think about going to other donut shops now. I'm just sitting here thinking like, like okay, you go into a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, here in Austin, there's a, kind of a famous one called Shipley. But I've never seen anybody make a donut except at a Krispy Kreme. So yeah, the only does that doing. mean that they're not making them inside a Dunkin' Donuts? I think they probably are, right? You can't, you can't do mass distribution of fresh donuts. That doesn't make sense. Never seen them make one in there, but they probably are. They're probably making all of them. Yeah. Huh. So I've got an idea for, as, before we end, Stephen, I, when I have ideas, I like to give them away. Okay. Because I'm not going to ever act on them. This is an idea for you for a book, and it's on the triple crown of worker breaks, coffee, cigarettes, and donuts. There we go. I think that would be a good book. You should write that. All right. Well, and we already have the cigarette one. 
and we just now need to do the coffee one. So, so we transcribe <laughs> this one and uh, and get the coffee thing under our belts, and it's it's either a small book or a fat pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting part is when you look at that, those three things happen due to a couple of factors. One, the invention of the industrial revolution. And uh-huh. then the social upheaval that happened around the Great Depression, right? And the fact that uh, unions were there and saying, no, we need a little bit of break in the day. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that would be interesting. Okay, I'll work on that. <laughs> I love the Krispy Kreme story. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at the Empire Builders Podcast.com.